0: Last week or two weeks ago, we had introduced a song called Reckless Love, and the second line in that song goes, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves in 99. I just want to explain to you guys a little bit, give you some context on what that 99 is. Um, I've got a passage here from Luke 15. I'm just going to read it for you guys, and maybe give you a little more insight as to what the song's kind of talking about. So, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associated with such sinful people. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Will not he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So as we go through the song, um, and it's still maybe becoming new to some of you, uh, don't feel like you have to sing. I mean, there's a lot of times in worship that you can take a song and make it a prayer by just saying the words to God, not even having to sing it. or just taking the time or the context of that to sing and, and worship God, song, and go for that. But don't feel like you can't use this as a time for prayer. Maybe search your heart. There are places in your, your life and your, uh, in the closets of your heart that you're keeping away from God. That he's, he's begging to rescue you, but you're not letting him. So as we go through it, just ask, quiet your heart um, and, and reflect on the words that we're about to sing. there's someone here that feel like they're too far gone and can't be rescued. Father, that's who you are. You're a rescuer. You're in this crazy pursuit for our hearts, Jesus. You just want our attention. Lord, you created us for a reason to glorify you. Lord, I know in my own life that I don't glorify you all the time. I know you're begging for it, Jesus. And I pray that through steps and progressions in our life that you continue to put things in our way that that turn us back to you, Father. Lord, that we're never too far gone. We believe that you are. Amen. You guys may have a seat.
1: The next three weeks we're going to be looking at a section of scripture we're not going to leave it because there's so much going on and uh, in that section of scripture two really big questions are going to be asked they look really good with that question I hope I feel really good about how I answer that question but upon reflection these are these are questions that are so hard so big that like that song you feel like there's some conflict in you and you're not really sure if you do look good, and you find yourself kind of repeating the same wondering questions in your mind as, am I doing okay, am I doing the right thing, am I, am I all right? That, that's, um, that's where we're going with the story that Jesus told. It actually didn't start with a story. It started with a question. It kind of morphed into a second question, and then Jesus tells a parable. That's why we have to spend a lot of time with it. The first question is this, hey, how do I know? That I'm honoring God with my life and then it kind of transitions into hey how do I know if I'm effectively loving the human beings both difficult questions important questions but in response to it Jesus tells a parable it's an important parable and often um, it gets our attention and that's what we focus on and we forget how the whole conversation started. We forget that it started with the first question, but that second one, about how do you love your neighbor? That's hard, and it's daunting. And we spend a lot of our time on that. We wonder, who should I help? There's lots of people who need it, there's lots of organizations. Who am I supposed to give my time and energy to? We wrestle with guilt. (laughs) we we'll walk by somebody on the sidewalk that's got a sign, and you don't drop some money in their little hat there, and when you walk past that, there's like tinges of guilt, and you wonder, did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? What am I supposed to do with that? How do I wrestle with all of that? That, that kind of stuff, I think um, stick, a lot of us understand that God looks at us with a sense of grace and love, and so we know that God has done so much work for us and loves us that sometimes that one isn't on our mind. But this other one of how, how do I know if I'm loving my neighbor? Well, how do I know who I should love, how I should love, what's enough, what's not enough? There's a lot of rub there. At least, at least that's still true for me. 2013, we moved into this building. We started to see a lot of people who would show up and ask for money. And, and we gave it out. I did. I gave it out. And what that caused was more people to come in. And they were coming in and asking for me by name. And suddenly I thought, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know what they're actually going to go spend that money on. I don't know what's going to happen. And so um, we decided to set up some policies. We were like, hey, we gotta find a way to agencies, and we started referring people out to that. And we had we had these policies in place which are fantastic, except for one flaw in the system. I hate policies and rules, right? It was there for my protection, and it's really good. But in December of last year, I have a guy sitting in my office. And he'd been there earlier. He'd been, he'd been in our office six months earlier. He knew we didn't give out money. I had referred him to an agency that we work with in the area. They had helped him out. It had worked perfectly. It was fantastic. But he was back in my office and I, I just looked at him, I said, You know we don't give money out, right? He goes, Oh yeah, I know. I'm not asking you to give money. I'm asking you to go to the gas station and fill up my truck with gas. And I said, ah, that's kind of the same thing, right? And he goes, oh, no, it's not. Cash is cash. You're not giving me that. You're just giving me the thing I need. And I need gas because I have a daughter who is sick. And if I don't by Friday I get paid. I'm working. And I'll be fine. I just need this gas because the trip is pretty far. And I have two voices going in my head. if he's not what if his daughter really needs care you're capable of helping you have the ability to do that what what should you do and so I'm sitting there wrestling but it's okay right because I have some policies to fall back on that could protect me in that so I went to the gas station with him and uh Right, I'm, I filled up his truck. He leaves happy. I come back to the office conflicted. I don't feel good about it. I get a call from another church. Hey, we've got a guy in our office. We're trying to figure out if we should help him or not. And they describe him. It's the guy. And I ask, what's, what's the story? It was the exact same story that he told to me, and I knew in an instant I'd been had. He had just found an effective way to get gas every week, and he was working the system. I, I, I wanted to find some way, like, to honor God. I was like, if she's really sick, I want to honor you, God, by doing what's right. And then in light of that, there's a little bit of you that gets jaded, how do you navigate all of this? Well, I tell you what, all of that is about to come up in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at. It, we're, it's going to run us through the ringer on all sorts of ways and get us thinking. And that's, I want to just warn you, that's my goal for today. There is so much to cover. I'm only going to get so far. to cover so much stuff what happens is we read this section of Scripture. And because we don't understand all the intricacies of what was going on, it's something that when we read, we forget. And when Jesus told this story, when he was, had this interaction with these people, he told them something that would have set in their gut. They would have mulled it over. And they would have wondered, what in the world just happened to me with this story that you told? And I'm hoping that we can do that for you. I'm hoping that we can start, and then as we get into it, we'll have to stop kind of abruptly. We're only going to get into the parable a little ways. But I'm hoping that you'll take that, and this week, it'll be something that you mauled yourself. Now, um, the story starts. Luke records an interaction between a teacher of the law and Jesus. A teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and asks the first important question. Here it is in verse 25. What must I do? Now, this is a pretty important question, although it's kind of odd coming from a teacher of the law. You have to understand, uh, if you're a teacher of the law, you had to be 30 years old before you could even begin teaching the law, which meant that for at least 15, possibly 20 years, you were studying this. You were preparing to teach. You were sat under a rabbi, you sat under some Pharisees or Sadducees, whatever sect you were representing, You you had that much education, and then if you had a section of time where you were actually teaching this before he ever asked the question, this guy's got 20, 25 years or longer of history of teaching the law. He's not a stranger to this thing, which makes you wonder, why is this guy doing this? The crowd would have considered him an expert. He would have been in one of the highly respected positions in that culture, rabbi, rabbi, teacher of the law. He's up there. Maybe it's a legitimate question. I suspect that it's not because the scriptures tell us in verse 25 that this guy is asking this question to test Jesus. And and I want to give you the the question in in the way that um, an Israeli mind would have thought about it at this time. It's translated really well, um, but here's how they would have thought about this. This guy is coming to Jesus and saying this. How can I have harmony with God here and now and forever? I want you to tell me what I have to do so that God and I could be in harmony with each other. Now and forever. So this is the question he's asked. And this is the question that um, a lot of people in his culture would have cared about. In fact, there were were groups of people who were lining up to tell people exactly what they had to do in order to be in their kind of bent. And what you would do is you look for somebody who earnestly desired to follow after God and you would say, this is what you have to do. And you became a little bit controlling because you would just pile on the rules. Can I just tell you, I, I still think that happens today. Where there are people who earnestly desire to figure out what it takes for me to live a life that's in harmony with God. And they look for somebody to tell them exactly what to do. And there are people who are willing to tell you exactly what to do. Here's the hoops. Jump through them. Do this. Do that. Have this attitude. And they will control your life. That's the kind of stuff that was happening in this culture at the time. Now, Jesus responds to this question in a really Jewish rabbi sort of way. Um, A Jewish rabbi believed that it would be better if I could get you to give the answer than for me to give you the answer. Jesus responds with a question. If you go and um, look through Jesus' teaching, you'll see him do this often. Somebody will ask him a question, he'll respond with a question. This is why. He's he's a rabbi. He's functioning like a rabbi. And he says this in verse 26. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Listen, dude, you teach this stuff. You, you've been studying this for years. Do you? What do you think? Based on how you've read, studied, what do you think the answer to your question is? The guy gives him one. It's in the next verse, 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a great answer. Now we don't know if this guy really meant this answer or not. I, I kind of suspect that he didn't, because he's he's testing Jesus. So I think he's heard Jesus teaching this, and he's simply repeat of Jewish belief. And so this might have been something that he really believed too. So both of those options were possible. And Jesus looks at him and responds in the next verse by going, ding, 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 you nailed it, right? Winner, winner, right here. You go and do that, and the harmony that you seek with God, it's available for you. You're you're good. You, You nailed it. Which you would think would mean the end of the conversation. But it doesn't. Because this guy's intending to set a trap. He's testing Jesus in an attempt to embarrass him. And you'll understand that in a minute. And so Luke records that instead of this conversation ending, this is what he observes next. He said this teacher of the law, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who? This just went from a friendly conversation to something that's far more confrontational. Everybody listening knew it. Uh, We we don't know it. But but there was a whole bunch of stuff that was happening in that verse right there, and I want to walk you through each one of them because I don't want to miss them. So let's start with this idea of why did Luke look at this guy and say, he's trying to justify himself. Why would he have to say, I'm okay or I'm I'm fine. Why, why is he having to say that? Well, here's the here's the reason. Because when he answered correctly and said that the answer to this question is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, the Jewish people believed that you could not do that 100% all the time. That if that was the standard, you would fail. Because how could you give all of your strength all of the time? How could you give all of your mind all of the time? And so it was a kind of a, it was a difficult answer because he knows he just gave something that he can't achieve himself. How would you do that in light of an unachievable, impossible goal? Because there was a second part to it. The second part to it was, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so they reasoned that if I could find a way to prove that I loved my neighbor as myself, that I could then say, see, I'm loving God the best that I can. I'm in good standing. And so this, that's why this guy has just offered up, who is my neighbor? Because if he can find a way to answer, okay, Jesus, what's your answer? And he can say, yep, I'm good with that. He can now say, God and I are are fine. I've got this covered. Now, what you don't know and everybody else listening knew was that by asking that question, Jesus was just offered in to a hotly debated topic of their day. Uh, It it was vicious. Uh, Historians have found seven different views on who your neighbor was. So people will praise yourself and is your neighbor, you're good with God. There were seven of those. Two of them were on the extremes, and they had the most followers. Shocking, right? It's odd that humans would be so extreme. Um, but let me let me um, give you some assurance into that because everything else in the middle was just a variation on the two on the end. So uh, let me give you the, um, Hillel. Hillel uh, was a a teacher who died in AD 10, 10 AD. So Jesus is probably 13 to 16 years old, depending on when he was born. Um, This teaching was very popular in the area that Jesus grew up in. We know he would have been exposed to it. And Hillel taught that your neighbor was everyone, including your enemy. There was only one group that could be excluded from that, but everybody else you were responsible to love. It was a high bar. It was the most lenient of the, of the teachings out there at the time. The other one part of Israel, you or the southern part of Israel, sorry. You had um, him teaching this: Only God-fearing Jews were your neighbor. So, so they had to have the same ancestry. And they had to be observant Jews. Do you, do you want to know why so many people were upset that Jesus was hanging out with sinners? Shammai actually taught that the only people who were worthy of love were God-fearing, observant Jews. And for you to spend your time loving somebody who didn't deserve it was a slap in the face of God was an insult. And so when Jesus chose to do that, they really hated it because there was a whole group of people who had bought into this idea and everybody in between had a different view of it. And what was happening is this teacher who's been teaching on this very stuff for who knows how long, studying this, he already has his own answer. If Jesus says, hey, your neighbor is a God-fearing Jew who's observant, this guy would have said, "Woo, that's who I love. And I do that consistently. <laughs> I'm good with God. I'm justified. I have, I'm, I'm good, right? If Jesus would have said, oh, your neighbor is everybody, including your enemy, they would. Have, he, the teacher would have said, whoa, you hang out with those people? It appears that I'm closer to God than you are because my love for God prevents me from associating with this kind of stuff. But you do, and there must be something wrong with your love for God. That's what's just been set up here. And Jesus knows it, and the crowd knows it. Wherever Jesus falls, whoever he lines up with, he's about to push out, everybody else, they're all going to go, oh, I guess you don't agree with me. This is a polarizing subject. It might be hard for us to understand because we don't live in a country that has anything that polarizes us. Yeah, that was a joke. It's just like that. It's just like that. goes on. It would have been just like that. That's how intense. And so now, everybody's sitting back and they're waiting. What's your answer, Jesus wherever you fall, I'm gonna know if I should listen to you anymore or not. And the trap has been set. Was done pretty effectively, except Jesus is brilliant. And he does another rabbi thing. He decides he's gonna tell a parable instead of giving a direct answer. And the parable starts this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. This is, um, Jesus is not choosing um, a place by accident. He knows exactly what he's doing. There's actually a road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. People would skirt the mountains of Jerusalem. They would come all the way down and around, and then they would use this trail right here to go up. It was a 3,400-foot ascent, And, uh, uh, and there was actually a place on this road That was called the way of blood at the time of Jesus because people were getting mugged and beat up there so often. It would be like your kid coming and saying, hey, can I have the car? And you're like, where are you going to go tonight? And you're like, I'm going to go to the way of blood. And you're like, (laughs) you're grounded for life, right? You would never do that. Why would you? Because this was a main thoroughfare. Even though it had so much difficulty, it was just bordered by desert and people could rob you and then escape into the desert. Everybody kind of knew that, but Jesus had chosen this particular road for a reason, and we're going to find out that case. But it, it's that kind of narrow, difficult path, okay? So he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he's attacked by robbers. and the next part of the verse, it says, they stripped him of his clothes. You might as well have said they stole his identity. Because one of the ways you knew who that other person's class was, who their group was, who their ancestry was, all of that sort of stuff, and it was true in Israel too. The way you dress told people what class you were in, who you were associated with, what your nationality was. You learned a lot by the dress, but as soon as his dress is taken away, you can't tell what group he's in. Why is that important? Because they were asking the question, who's my neighbor? And the way for you to decide if that person fit your category or your group that was defined by people was to look at them and say, does that person fit? And without his clothes, you couldn't tell. Well, it's okay. Because there was one other way. You could talk to the person. You have a conversation. You can pick up their dialect. You could know, uh, this guy's poor, he uses that kind of slang, or this or that, or whatever. You, you could figure out, oh, he's not my nationality, based on the conversation. Except, the verse goes on. It says, they didn't just take his clothes, but they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Half dead is unconscious. <laughs> There's no having a conversation with this guy. You're not going to figure out based on what the right group that would obligate you to care for that person. I'm trying to love my neighbor because that honors God. What do I do with this? Well, we're about to see that. It says a priest happened to be going down the same road. This um, This was not some random thing. This is not like one of those weird jokes where they're like, you know, a priest, a Jewish person, and a Hindu walk into a bar, and you're like, "Yeah, that would never happen." Um, Jericho, at the bottom where this, where they're going down, historical records record that there were 12,000 servants who would serve in the temple every year who lived in Jericho. There were so many Levites, so many priests that they were. Um, it was kind of a lottery system, and you would serve two weeks a year. You would walk up from Jericho. You would serve your two weeks. Then you would go back down. And if you were going down, you had just finished your time. He chose it. It's not not some random thing. He's telling them a story in their culture that they could have wrapped their minds around. This stuff was happening. This priest was coming down. He had just gotten done serving in the temple. And it says this. When he saw the man... He passed by on the other side, and when we read that, we're horrified. Our thought kind of goes like this. That's like, Blair, you're pastor of the church, and you come across somebody who's in need, and you go out of your way to avoid them. What a hypocrite, what a mess, how terrible. That's how, that's how we read it. I want to tell you right now that is not how the people listening to Jesus's story would have thought about this guy initially. They don't know where Jesus is going, but I can tell you that Jesus describes this. Not yet. They're going to they're get to that. But there are reasons that this would have, they would have understood. One of them, we've already talked about a little bit, this priest, would have seen this guy, but not been able to identify if he fit his category of neighbor. Is this an observant Jew? Is he God-fearing? I mean, what, what nationality? And based on just looking at him, he couldn't figure it out. Shammai actually taught that if you touched somebody, interacted with somebody who was in the wrong people group, you would become unclean. And so people would have understood that because he couldn't figure out if he was in the right group or not, that it might be better to just avoid that whole situation because you can't figure out if he's on your list. The second thing that they would have understood, see, we think it's callous, we think it's terrible, awful that he crosses to the other side and and goes. Do you know why he did that? Because he was following the rules. I want to tell you right now, he, he every choice that he made, was he, the rules that he was following said that he could not come in within 10 foot of a dead body. And the only way for him to know if he's half dead or not is to get within that circumference. And if he was actually dead, he'd become unclean. And he didn't want to take that risk. And everybody would have known, he's, he's naked. He's unconscious. There's no way to tell if he's going to die. If he goes if that priest goes in and touches him and he dies, he's unclean. And because he values his relationship to God, he would never allow that to happen. And so, he goes on the other side to avoid that contamination. Now the third factor that I think uh, the scriptures don't necessarily automatically like pin down, but I, I just think it's part of it. Is that this guy had just finished two weeks away from his family. He has obligations at home. He's been gone long enough. And he's... He, if he becomes unclean... What he's going to have to do is walk back up that hill all the way to Jerusalem. He's going to have to go stand in line with a bunch of other people who are unclean. He's going to have to start a process where he's going to have to go and buy a red heifer. It's going to have to be sacrificed. Then he's going to have to go through some ritual cleansing before he can even go home. Some scholars believe that that whole process, the trip back, everything that he would have to do would delay him for another week. And the cost of that money for the heifer and the time, I think, was part of his calculus too. Now, here's what's, here's what's fascinating. This is what I love. I, I think Jesus is telling a timeless story. Because every one of the choices that that priest made I have made. I've, I've done it. Where I've looked at somebody and said, I, I don't know if you are the kind of person I want enough for me to be around. You'd embarrass me if I was around you very much, and so I choose not to do that. You belong to the wrong group. I've done, I've done all of that. I, I think I've done this other thing where you're like, if I, if I touch you, That's going to be messy and dirty, and I'm going to get dirty in the process, so I'm going to avoid it. And we don't have unclean laws here, but we know a messy situation when we see one, and we're smart enough to go, I'm not sure I want to be around that mess. I'm not sure I want to expose myself to that mess. I am going to walk as far away from this as I can, and and I've done it. I've done the busy thing, too. You know, um, over Christmas, uh, the kids were all home. They were all sleeping, and Tracy and I were up one morning, and we thought, hey, uh, we've got a few things that we want to get. Let's drive up to Three Rivers. There's a little corner there that has a Menards, Meyer, all the, all in the same spot. It's perfect. So let's go up there. It's a nice sunny morning. Um, so, so we jumped in the truck, and we took off, and we, we crossed the Michigan line and it turned into past Constantine. We're still not to three rivers. We come to the St. Joe River, and there's, it's a long bridge there, and we witness a three-car accident. Um, the, it was completely ice. the bridge was. And a guy starts fishtailing, and a girl swerves out to miss him and gets clipped by him. And she starts doing these loop-de-loops on the bridge. And uh, we dodge her, and I'm still watching, and he's still fishtailing and does a header into the next guy coming. His car then just whips off to the side and into the edge of the bridge. Talk to him later. They thought they were gonna flip over into the water, which would have been terrifying. They just weren't going fast enough for that. We stopped, we jump out, I'm, I called 911. I have no idea where I'm at. They're like, where are you? Michigan. You know, that was really helpful. I I didn't even I didn't even remember the road I was on, right? I, luckily one person who had, in the accident, had enough of a mind about him to go. We're right here. And I was like, oh, that's helpful. Thank you. And so, so um, Tracy was with me. She's a nurse. So she's going around and going, are you okay? Another ENT stop. So um, people are looking at scratches and bruises and all that kind of stuff. We're just verifying that everybody's okay. And, I, you know, I'm done on the phone. And I look around, and, and I realize, oh, emergency vehicles have to come here. And the track was starting to line up on both sides. And I thought, I'm going to take control of this, and I'm going to get traffic moving again. Which I like, to do. like. I like to be in charge like that, you. You stop, right? And the looks I got, I—I'll interpret for you. I hope you die, right? I was like, I, we're, I'm just trying to keep things moving through here. But there were people who were really upset, and I want to tell you, when you're on the side in the moment where you're helping. That feels pretty good, but the truth is I've been in that line before waiting. And you know what I thought? Nice driving morons. Right? Like you're costing me 10 minutes right now. And and we get upset about that stuff because I'm going somewhere and you're impeding that. And all kinds of things situations happen where you'd have a moment To do something for your fellow mankind except you're too busy, you're too upset, and I've been there. Here's the reality for that priest. No matter what, if he was going to help, it was going to cost cost him the exposure but it was going to cost him something. And, that, and that's the first part. We're, just, we're going to stop here today. But that's the first part that I, I hope you'll take and digest. Is I, I want you to ask, have there been places in my life where the priest has showed up? Where the cost of my time or my energy or my association where my categories have to be set aside so that I can respond and act in a loving way. We actually had a group of people do that. They were confronted with those hard difficult choices. We had a team go to the DR this last year and we uh, recorded some interviews with them and then we kind of spliced together some um, times where they were talking about what they found to be challenging I kind of want you to watch this, and then I'll come back and talk to you for just a little bit, and we'll close. Check this out.
2: Okay, so this year was a different um, a different job than what we were doing last year. We did some work on the church site, but very minimal.
3: The cement onto the walls and the ceiling, and then they would laugh at us because we were terrible at it, and it's a skill we don't possess, and so I went up, and Enoch had just done it. And I like, made fun of him because I was like, that was garbage. And so I went up and tried to do it, and I was just as bad. And so I was like, please just take this back. Like, I don't want this. Please just do your work. I don't want to be made fun of anymore. I know I suck.
2: And it was much more just interacting with the kids and running this kids camp, um, which was fun and challenging and rewarding. Like the kids
4: kind of exhaust you. I love it, but they do exhaust you. And like at the end of the day, it's like, you still feel like you're holding two kids in your arms, and like it's just, it's exhausting just to like hold kids all day. But I guess it's worth it though.
3: <laughs> Those kids would cling to you so fast. You thought, you know, at first I thought, oh man, this is gonna be weird because they like obviously they don't know me, and so it's just gonna be really odd. And so you know you gotta have that warm up period that you do in in America with. Other kids, but they were just like you walk in and they just whoosh, swarm to you. So Sarah was um, a, a really small girl who basically every time I walked in would come find me, and I would have to hold her. Um, even when I set her down, it was so. Every day I like to start out by trying to help the construction workers, but I'm no Josh Rager, so eventually I would just find myself kind of like slowly creeping down towards the kids and like hanging out with them just because. One of the things I regretted last year is that I worked too much and didn't develop relationships enough. And I think that's something that's super important. And so this year I tried working on building relationships a little bit better this year. Um, and so I would go and hang out with the kids and like I'm sure someone the other people talked about, you kind of went down there and then you were immediately a jungle gym. So there's points when I was holding four kids at once and then there was points when I was holding three kids or like two, but um, it was just nice to be able to um, hang out with them and kind of get to know them in different ways.
4: When they have all these people that are like willing and want to hold them and want to take the time to just be with them it's so amazing for them just because it's like I don't know, you are able to show them that not only do your parents care about but like I care about you and I don't know you but I care about you and I want to be with you and like you are loved by someone that doesn't even know you and I don't know, it's just a really cool way to be able
2: to show them that you care just by holding them. Something I feel like we kind of take for granted. And then going into the community and we went to some different places than we had last year and um, just ministering to people, praying with people, letting them know that we're here. Walking is always hard, Um, not just because it's
4: hilly, um, but because their streets and their paths aren't like mulched or like gravel. It's. Trash that you're walking on, and it's wet trash after it's rained, and it's not even, and you're walking at the speed of somebody that's like six foot five that has giant steps, and you've got to keep up with them because they aren't going
2: to stop. And um, so, I just, as I walked up and down those hills and the streets, and went in and out of people's houses and prayed, I just tried to pray in my own mind. for them, that God, you know their story, you know what they need, you know how how you could bless them, how they need to be blessed, um, what they need, where they are in their walk, and I just prayed that above all that they would come to know Him and that their household would be blessed and would um, just know that peace that no matter what's going on in their life, God is there and He cares for them.
1: They were embarrassed. They were tired. They were smothered. Um, They worked around trash and difficulty. I was was talking to Nick about it, and he said, man, there was one day when it was raining, and we were walking in all this trash, and there's a big drug problem there, and I noticed syringes on the ground, and I was like, don't let me fall. They they paid money to do all of that. And and what I hope um, you'll go from here today with is just a simple thought. Am I willing to pay some price to love my neighbor? Or do I have stuff in me that caused me to be a little bit more like the priest than I want to be? Because I'd like to say I look good. I look good with this. But I also want to face the truth and see where God might take me on this. Over the next two weeks, we're going to fill out the story and give you more to think about, more to process. And I hope um, it'll start here with you having some time to ask God to evaluate your ability to serve effectively your mankind. What's, What's going on with you? Let me pray with you real quick. God, we have a lot more to cover over the next few weeks. But I just ask that as uh, people leave today, that what they'll think about, what they'll process, is if they see themselves at all in that prudent people. Not wanting to get messy or dirty. Wanting to find ways to avoid the problem because they're just too busy. God, I ask that you would begin to speak with our hearts. And as we fill out this story, that you'll help us live lives that honor you, without the guilt, without the pressure, without all of that. And so I just ask that that would begin today. Be present with us as we go, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you guys would stand to your feet, i going to sing through the chorus, through the bridge of a reckless love again.
5: don't deserve it still you give yourself away oh the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God still no we So no way you down, I won't down, coming to me It's no shame The snow way I walk you down, my overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the tonight, And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it, still.
0: love God so Jesus this week as we go out into our workplaces Lord as we go back to our families um, I pray that we would seek the lost God our hearts would be open to those who are hurting and need your love And Lord we're asking right now that you willingly use us as vessels to be your hands and feet Jesus affecting the world in only ways that you can, Father. Thank you so much for your love that's been lavished over us constantly. We're not deserving of it. Lord, thank you for all these that are, these friends that are in this building. I pray that you bless them as they go out. God, give them confidence and strength in your name. That's your name we pray.